Are you excited to be here? Can I hear an amen? Amen or a hallelujah. That's all right too. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 12 verse 23. Thank you friends and family who have come to support the Riosco's ordination service. We already had a great ordination service in the first service with the Moralesis. So today we add four new deacons to the house of God and we're excited about that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I thought that I could do an ordination talk, you know, sermon, and then jump into a Matthew sermon, and uh, I realized I can't do that. So what I want to do moving forward, by God's grace, Lord willing, on ordination days, remind us again of the great call of ministry, so that way I don't have to compete with the sermon series and try to fit it all in and keep you here till three in the afternoon. So today, I want to take advantage of this opportunity to remind us that we're all supposed to be servants of Christ. Would you turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. Uh, We're having to wait to fix the air conditioning until uh, some things go on up there. Uh, They told me it has to get pretty hot before they can test it. So hopefully this week it will get hot enough to where they can test it. So we apologize it's a little hot in here. But how many are glad it's hot and not cold as a season? Maybe not as a temperature, but I'm saying as a season. Are you glad it's warming up a little bit? Pregnant mama still not giving love. She wishes it was midwinter, 50 below. That's all right. Look at John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Somebody say many seeds. Thank you. I want us to get the illustration that Jesus is talking about here. He is calling himself basically a seed. And he's saying, if I don't die, there can't be a multiply. There there can't be a multiplication. So Jesus has to die so that the disciples can multiply. So let's get it in like farmer mindset. Like let's just understand this because we're not farmers here, but we can get this. If you take the enlote and you eat it, can you plant it now to get more enlotes? No. If you eat the sunflower seed, can you plant it to get more sunflower seeds? No. So if you plant the seed, you get thousands more seeds. Think about that. Thousands. It multiplies. What is Jesus saying here? I am going to die so I can multiply in you. Jesus was not meant to be a one-off. Sometimes we think about Jesus coming down like he was Superman, and he was just going to show us a bunch of impossible things we could never do, and then he was going to say, try to do your best to be like me. That's not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is we were made perfectly in the image of God, and then we lost it, and now he comes to be a perfect man to get it back. The Son of God, think of it like this, became the Son of Man, like us, so that we who are sons and daughters of men might become sons and daughters of God. Let me put it in a shorter sentence. Jesus became like me so that I could become like him. He became like us, but without sin. He showed us what Adam and Eve could have done if they would obey God. And so we are all now supposed to be like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the term Christian did not come from us. It wasn't us walking around going, hey, we're Christians. No, it was after Jesus ascended and went to heaven, people were watching these guys and these women, and they said, hey, 
We got a little Jesus over here. We got a Jesus Jr. We got a Christ person over here. They are Christians. They are like Christ. Now let me make sure that you don't think I'm blaspheming. I only believe in one God who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we do not become God like the Son. We do not take on that kind of divinity. But the Bible does say we participate in the divine nature. We get to taste of it with him. So think of it like this. You were born once naughty by nature. Now you get to be born again in the divine nature. You were born because of Adam, a sinner, but now born again a saint because of Christ. Literally, Jesus is saying, I want a bunch of me on the earth. It's quiet when I preach like that. Because you guys want to keep using the excuse, what, nobody's perfect? Is that what you're going with? And there was only one Jesus and ain't nobody like you. That's nobody's perfect. Is that what you're still going with? Okay, that's not what Jesus is going with. Of course, nobody is perfect without Jesus, but in Jesus, what are you, perfect or imperfect? A sinner or a saint? Busted and disgusted or holy and righteous? Or should I say ratchet or righteous? Which one are you? Can I be both, pastor? No. One or the other. So who are you multiplying? Are you multiplying Adam and the fallen nature of sin, or are you multiplying Jesus? What are you and what kind of seed are you? Because the kind of seeds you are is the kind of fruit you're going to bear. So if you look at your life and you don't like the fruit coming out of your thoughts and your actions, you got a bad root. You don't like the fruit, check the check. You don't like the fruit, check the root. And only God can change the roots so that the fruit can change. Now, if somebody were to say, well, well, Joe, what happens if we sin? Well, if Christians sin, they can be forgiven. What they don't do is deny it and live as a hypocrite. What they don't do is then try to cast blame on their past and say, well, I was just raised this way. What they don't do is then compare themselves to others. You're not being multiplied compared to Hitler. You're being multiplied compared to Jesus. Oh, there's somebody, you know, they're worse than me over here. Somebody's worse than me. No, no, no. It's not, it's not, are you better than the worst person on the team? It's, are you like Jesus, the best perfect person on the team? Okay, I mean, I can look good, uh, you know, if I went to the prison today and did, did some jailhouse ministry, maybe I could look good in comparison to the sins that I've committed. But I'm not being compared to them. I'm being compared to Jesus. And the Bible says he wants to multiply himself. Now look at the very next verse, please, verse 25. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He is so clear that if you think your life is kind of, sort of okay, and all you need is a little sprinkle of faith to get you to heaven, you have missed it. You are not supposed to look at Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Bill Gates, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and go, they're actually doing pretty good at this thing called life. If I could get as far as them the way they've gotten in life, man, that would be awesome. Hey, Bill Gates doesn't really believe in God, but he's still a great, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Theanthropist. No, no. Philanthropist. Philo meaning love, anthropos meaning man. There we go. I know something, but I can't pronounce words today. Philanthropists. Just pray for me. I do this for a living. Just imagine how embarrassed I get, okay? We'll move on past that word. But you look at Bill Gates and you go, what a great philanthropist he is. He doesn't believe in God, but that's awesome. Give him credit. Let's give him a hand clap. 
The Bible literally says you have to look at that and hate it in comparison to what God gives you. Can I be honest with you? I hate Joe without Jesus. I hate Joe's attitude without Jesus. I hate Joe's marriage without Jesus. Can I tell you a secret? I hate your attitude without Jesus. I hate your marriage and your relationships without Jesus. If you think your stuff's still cute without Jesus, you don't understand who Jesus is. Now, does that mean we have to be unsuccessful to serve Jesus? No, I love Christian billionaires. They have both, a billion dollars and they have Christianity. Why should they become unsuccessful just to be a Christian to prove to others you can't have money, you know? No, the Bible says don't love money, but it doesn't mean you can't be successful and use money for a tool. Who would you rather have a billion dollars? Somebody that's going to spend half a million, half a billion on a yacht or a Christian that's going to give a lot of it away and help others doing philanthropy but doing it with the gospel because you can give somebody food and they can have a full belly and still go to hell. Why did Jesus tell us that after he talked about producing many seeds? Because he's wanting you to understand this. If you don't want his life, Get the big picture here. After 80 years, you lose yours and go to hell. I mean, that's it. He's, he's not trying to bribe you. He doesn't talk about like how awesome heaven is here. He just tells you if you don't hate it, you're not getting eternal life. And if eternal life is not enough motivation for you, then he's not going to try to do a tap dance and a song and, and try to be like that person that calls you up to sell you a timeshare. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on the phone with them, but they are like really good salespeople. I almost bought a timeshare before because that's how good they are. And if you've bought one, don't feel bad. Just use it and share it with your friends. But you can re meet some real high-pressured salespeople, right? Some people who really want you to buy this thing. Jesus is not high-pressure sell selling you right here. He's just telling you like this. You love your life the way it is. You like being in charge of your sexuality. You like spending money however you like to do it. You like having your own rules. You, you like believing in many paths to the Father. You like that, you will lose it in the end. But if you don't like that, if you realize you have become your own worst enemy, you realize that the morality of this world is terrible, you realize that we're all missing something on the inside like a God-shaped hole that only he can fill, you hate your life without God, you will get eternal life. Now look at verse 26, because this is where we're going to be today. Whoever serves me must follow me. What must they do? Follow me. Follow Jesus. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Do you know that that word servant is where we get the word deacon from? Diakonos in the Greek simply means to serve. There is nothing today that Jose and Christina are doing that each and every one of you are not commanded to do. In our church, we take the Bible serious and we take it as our playbook. As we'll get into in just a moment, the Bible brings up two positions in the church, elder and deacon. And it says that at the very least, everybody can be a deacon. The reason is, is because deacon is synonymous with a servant. So is there anybody here that can say back to me as a leader in this church, you're not called to be a servant serving Jesus? You shouldn't. The only ones who could rightly say that are those who are serving the devil 
And you're right, we don't want you to serve Jesus. Uh, Not that way, serving the devil. We invite you to change masters and then serve Jesus with us. Can I get an amen? I'm not saying keep serving the devil and I'm cool with that. I'm just saying you're right. If you're in a state of the devil being your master, we're not asking you to watch our children today. I know other churches that do. They don't care. It's, it's in one sense, come one, come all. Anybody can volunteer and do something. Sometimes they'll come in smelling like smoke. The other you know, times they'll have potty mouths and all that. That's not us here. We're not looking for volunteers. We don't need your help. Thank you very much. What we are doing is giving people the privilege to serve God. The privi- it's a privilege to serve God. And this part right here has really struck my heart. And i got to be careful not to get too emotional because then the rest of the service will be just me crying. You coming on, you know, coming on stage, patting me on the shoulder. It's okay, Pastor. It's okay. Because this is super emotional for me. Just this phrase right here. Where I am, my servant also will be. Where Jesus is, there is his servant. Reminds me of Psalm 23 when it talks about the shepherd and the sheep. It ends with David saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What farmer do you know that brings a sheep home at night into the house? See, our shepherd loves us so much that he brings us to himself. We could have been left just on this earth. He could have said, you guys are just too sinful. Maybe I'll save you, not send you to hell, but you're just still too crazy for me to ever bring into my presence. He could have stayed separate from us, in other words. But no, he comes to be with us, to redeem us. He then sends the Holy Spirit to live and abide with us. That's what Jesus is is going to talk about in the next few chapters, is how the Holy Spirit will represent him, and then how he's going to come and rule and reign with us. I mean, what a privilege to be where Jesus is. I'm reminded of the story of Carlos and Acondia, a great evangelist from Argentina and the Argentine revival. He ended up filling soccer stadiums. But when he first came to church, he came as a successful businessman. And he had great gifts and talents, was a great leader. And he wanted his pastor to let him start preaching because he wanted to see the world change. What a great heart for us to have. But the pastor did not want him to start preaching. He wanted him to learn how to serve and do the things behind the scene. And instead of trying to rush out and do his own thing, he actually followed his pastor as a businessman. And he said, what do you want me to do, pastor? And the pastor said, I want you to come and clean the church with the women during the weekend. Now, this man had his own business where he paid people to clean his business. And yet his pastor was saying, if you want to serve God, if you want to be where Jesus is, come here on Saturdays and clean the church. He joyfully did it, and he showed up. But he noticed something when he was there, that the women's attitudes wasn't what he expected. He thought that they would consider it a privilege, as he did. But yet he heard them complaining. There were fingerprints on the windows from the children touching that where they shouldn't have. And there were dirty marks of the feet because people didn't wipe their feet properly. Some garbage left over. People didn't put back the Bibles or the, 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 the hymns back into the pews, and the women were complaining, you know, why don't they do this better? And they, they should know not to let their children touch the windows, so forth and so on. And, of course, there's wisdom in that. You don't want to come in dirty and touch windows, and that can be true. But Carlos and Acondia said God spoke to him and said, that's not the heart you're supposed to have while you're serving me. So God gave him the heart to see everything he was cleaning as a way to pray for the people and to lift them up in prayer. So he saw the fingerprints on the window of the children, and he said, Lord, thank you for the children that come to this church. 
Thank you for the precious hands and feet that come here. Thank you for those who come a long way or walk through mud and dirt to be in this church. Thank you for those who came here today and looked at our Bibles and read and sang our hymns. You see, God changed his heart from the heart of the ladies because they were just serving the church. I'm just helping the church. But for Carlos and Acondia, he wasn't doing something for the church. He was doing something with Jesus. You see, you can get it in your mind. You're always doing something for the church, forgetting it's actually Jesus' church. So you'll have a negative attitude towards the church. But the heart is supposed to be, it's not for the church, it's with Jesus. What kind of attitude do you have right now about serving, helping, coming early, staying late, doing things for God because God's kingdom counts? You know, I want to be honest with you as a pastor. I've actually seen people blow this up so bad that it's made me wonder, have people lost their mind when they walk through these doors? There was a time when all of the women in the 201 class were required to take care of the children. Now we just bring the children in here. It seems to be a lot easier. And we let you volunteer to be back there because we didn't want the attitudes of people who didn't want to be back there. Too many complainers were back there. But there was once a woman, as she was starting the 201 with her husband, and she was told that as a part of being here, you're going to have to volunteer and do the nursery. Now, she didn't have any children, and many of our young ladies who don't have children still do it joyfully. But you know what she did for a living? She was a nanny. But you know what she said? I don't want a nanny on Sundays. We then told her, if you don't volunteer like everybody else, you can't join the 201. The 201 requires you to volunteer and be available. She gave up such an attitude that her and her husband left the church. And I'm glad that they did. Because if you will nanny for some money, but you won't nanny for Jesus and with Jesus, it's not the church for you. I'm sorry, but it's not the church for you. We have people in this church with master's degrees working in professional jobs that pay nannies like her to take care of their children, but yet go into the back and lovingly do it. Isn't that a difference? You see, one person sees it as, I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for. The other one says, I'm doing it with Jesus. I'm picking up people in the church van with Jesus. You know what my dad did as a successful businessman in the church he went to? He worked with millionaires. I could boast here all day long of the kind of success my dad had working for American Express financial planner. You know what he did for his church? You know what my dad did? Drove the bus. You would have thought you were meeting a bus driver, but you were meeting one of the top representatives of American Express. Why? Because my dad's attitude was with Jesus, with Jesus. Where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And Jesus wants children to come to church. Somebody's got to drive the bus with Jesus. Who's going to do it? I will, I will. I'll go with Jesus to go pick up children. Isn't it something that this phrase right here can change your entire outlook on how you come to church, what you do in this church, and how you help others. This entire place right here, this, this phrase right here rocks my world every single time because I've been here from start to finish. I was here when there was nobody in the church, and it was just my wife and I. And I can tell you, I used to have that same attitude. These people don't appreciate what we're doing. These people don't understand. And you can get that kind of mantra going. But the, the, the devil is in that thought. I would always feel more discouraged. 
but it would always be the still small voice of Jesus that would come to me and say, Joe, I'm here. Is it not worth it for me? See, we're not here for pragmatism. I'm not here to just do it because it works and it feels good. I'm here to do what God wants me to do first and foremost for him. You know, you have to look at your Christian life, not as what is the least I can put into this and still go to heaven. What you need to say to yourself is what's the most I can give to Jesus and still be on this earth? Some of you want to be as close to hell as you can and go to heaven. I want to be as close to heaven and still be on this earth. Jesus is saying that the servant has a special place in his heart. So as we do ordination today, what we're saying to all of you is, where is Jesus and where are you? That's what I'm saying to you, honestly, because you can't tell me Jesus is only about your family, your school, your job, because the Jesus that I serve is about a lot of other things in life. And I know we can't help everybody, but with Jesus, we can help somebody. Maybe you could start coming to your life group a little bit early and start knocking on doors and inviting people to come. Maybe you could start volunteering on Wednesdays and be a part of the children's program. Maybe you could start volunteering on Friday. Maybe there's something that you can start to do that hasn't been done yet by talking to one of our leaders and say, I have an idea. What if we did this? The idea is, brothers and sisters, is we're not doing it for a place called Metro Praise International. We're doing it with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, including, including standing up here today. I'm not just doing it for you. I'm doing it with Jesus. I stand here with Jesus because where he stands, I stand next to him. That's my master. Amen? Amen. Let's scroll down to the next scripture. Let's go to the book of Acts. Where do we get the idea that there had to be positions in the church anyway? Shouldn't we all just be able to show up and do what we want? Aren't you happy, Pastor, I came? Give me a job. I'll help. Do you know how many good men I've had to send home with their little toolbox and uh, a little tear in their, in, in, their, uh, in their truck? You know how many? Many. You know why? Because all they want to do is volunteer. This is not volunteerism. If you want to do something in this church, you've got to have a position that you have been ordained in by God and be accountable to that. I don't just need you to have a hammer. I don't just need you to go do X, Y, and Z. We need men and women of God who will use the hammer, but their character matches the gift that they're giving the church. I don't want you using the hammer, cleaning the church, if you don't have the character to do that. I'll do it instead of you. And it will come out pretty messed up, I can tell you that, if we're building stuff. But I would rather do it than have you give a bad example here. I don't need volunteers. Everybody get that? So I'll send many a men home, many a women home. Well, just let me know if you need something, Pastor. What I need for you to do is become a disciple. That's what I need you to do. Well, you got a lot of stuff and a lot of things you said you wanted people to volunteer for. Yeah, that's right, but we don't want you to do it your way. We want you to do it God's way. So look at how it came up here, Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. It says, when the time of the disciples began to increase, in those days they were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So basically, there was racism even back then, or culturalism. Greek Jews were getting pushed to the back of the line, while the Hebrew Jews were going first. And they didn't like that, and that shouldn't have been happening, okay? But now let's see what happens here. So the 12, now remember Judas killed himself, and he's replaced with Matthias. 
the 12 elders, or leaders as you could say, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Do you understand in the early church, you couldn't even hand out food at the party unless you had the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So if you come in here and you're meeting a greeter, you're meeting somebody that we're trusting has spirit and wisdom. And if we're training them up, they're getting trained by somebody with the spirit of God and wisdom. We are not here as a church to water down what leadership is. There are already too many churches that have done that. There are all many too many people that have compromised. We don't want that here. What we want are soldiers for Jesus Christ. Now, I could raise up a bunch of little spiritual babies and call that success, but then you would get your tail whooped every time you saw the devil. Every time he came, you would go running from him. Or I can spend my time raising up soldiers. Which one do you want to be? Soldiers. Now, think about what time it takes to raise up a soldier. Sadly, you'll see us going over to other countries trying to help these guys, and you look at them, they, got, they look like Gomer piles, you know, like in Iraq and these forces we're trying to raise up. The hats on backward, the pants are falling down, and then you see a Navy SEAL standing among them. I don't want the Iraqi Republic force. I want Navy SEALs. I want Army Rangers. Are you listening to me? And to get an Army Ranger, it takes more than just going to a class for a couple weeks. It takes more than you just showing up saying, well, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. No, it takes you being trained and, and taught and to become a leader. And so at the very beginning, my wife and I had to ask ourselves the question, do we want mice or do we want elephants or lions? How quickly do mice multiply? Quick, right? They just multiply like that. But lions and elephants, they take longer. And so the idea is we don't want a church of little mini mouses. We want a church of radical leaders. And so if you don't want the process, then this is not a place for you. Because in our church, if you're going to wait on tables, you have to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And I'll wait. I'll wait for that to happen. Because cancer is growth, but it's not good growth. You guys tracking with me? I grow a lot, but it's usually down here. Not as much right here, right? And so here's the idea. You could have growth, but it doesn't mean it's good. I look at some of my friends' churches. They grew to five, ten thousand. 10,000. While they were doing it, they were having an affair. One of the churches in our city, while they were reaching 20,000, was having an affair and kissing on women, doing all these things. And so my question is to you, would you respect me more if I had 20,000 and was kissing on women behind the doors like my administrator? Would you respect me more just because I had 20,000 of you? Or would you respect me more with a mid-sized church and my wife and integrity and a, and a life that's worth following? Are you listening? Now, can you have both? Amen. I want to have both. I want to have 20,000, 100,000, and a wife and children that love me. But that's why I'm not rushing it. Does everybody get that? That's why I'm not rushing it. Why do I want to rush it? When we first started the church, if it, was, it was like, man, if you were, you know, if you had all your teeth and you, you could remember what we told you about the, the alarm code, we would give you the keys and let you run stuff. And then after watching people blow it up, we began to realize that's pointless because we're not going to settle for that. And sometimes people say, well, you don't have a lot of old people here. Yeah, because old people are stubborn. Old, oh, you don't have a lot of rich people here. Rich people are stubborn. 
I would rather have young people that are considered down and out than to have the rich here arguing with me over five, every five seconds because they still think Oprah's life's worth something. Jesus said, point one, you have to hate what Oprah's doing. We want Oprah to get saved, but you have to hate the godless life. The godless life is not your plan B. It's God's way or no way. Are you listening to me? And so God, God will raise up our college educated with the people we have here then. I've married so many here, seen them graduate college. God will start here and raise them up. And one day I will all have nothing but gray hair, and I'll be the first old guy here, okay? One, we were at one party the other day, and I'm like, dude, I am like so old. I'm like, I have gray hair. I have wrinkles. You know what I'm saying? You have My wife, we have six kids, and we just felt like we were the odd ones out. But, hey, I would rather start a church with young people than, than have it die in a nursing home. You know, if I, had, if I had today, all the baby boomers love me as their pastor, and all they want me to do is give, give, give them some pep talk on Sunday, then I have failed. And let's just be honest. Everybody look up at me, please. You don't think I know how to do that? Come on. Emiliano, let's be honest. You don't think I could be put on a platform right now in that environment and not be successful? Let's just be honest. I'm not trying to say I'm the Michael Jordan of pastoring, but how many know I could at least accomplish that? How many know I could at least do what Bill Hybels has done? By God's grace, of course, I, I can't talk without the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't breathe without it. But how many know if I wanted to use my gift to dumb it down for you, I could make myself more wealthy? Right? Because I get to live where that pastor lives now. You guys are still you, right? You still work your job. So who really benefits out of that? I do. I do. Think about it. Let's not pretend I'm stupid up here, okay? Who benefits from a bigger church? I do. You still work your same job. Now my job pays me more. Why do you think Joe makes the sacrifice? Not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying why do you think we put this standard in our church? You want to wait on tables, you better be full of the spirit and wisdom. Otherwise, we're not giving that responsibility to you because we want to honor God. We want a church where when you walk in, you can actually point to the elders, you can point to the deacons, and you can say, as much as God is my witness, these people are living for Jesus. Praise God, there's a place that's doing it. And I'm not trying to say we're the only ones, please. It would be a sad day if this was all that was saved in Chicago. Like 8 million people, here we are, Lord. No, that's like called. But I'm just like telling you like for where I am sitting, like where I am at, I can't rush the process. I can't make people be this faster than what we're doing right now. And we're still growing. We're still doing more than we've ever done. I mean, when you start with zero and you reach 200 after so many years, that's still pretty awesome, right? I mean, it could have been at zero. <laughs> well, it would be at eight, my wife and I plus the kids now, right? But thank God it keeps working, but you know how much work it takes. We work it, but it works. You know, we work it because it works, but it takes work. Amen? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and now figure out the job standard. How many of you want to have a job in the church? How many want to do stuff with Jesus? Amen. Then here it is. This is it, guys. There's not, nothing up our sleeve. There's no click here. This is for everybody and anybody. Look at verse 1. We'll go from elders to deacons. Those are the two positions in the church. You say, what about pastors? What about the rest of them? Ephesians chapter 4 gives us the five things that, past, uh, that elders and deacons will do, and pastoring is one of them. It's called the fivefold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. But those are gifts that we have. The offices or the positions we have are basically just two, 
elder and deacon. And as I was showing you on the play on the words uh, servant, deacon, it's the same thing. Right here where it's going to say overseer, elder, boss, leader, presbyter, bishop, all of those words mean the exact same thing. Now, in some denominations, they want to make the presbyter here, the bishop here, the this person here. But it's literally the same concept. And so if we were to go back 2,000 years into church history, you wouldn't find a pope. You wouldn't find some guy walking around calling himself a pastor. Literally, all you would see if you went to the church is elders and deacons. That's it. And if you talk to one of the elders and say, what do you do? They would say, well, I'm pastoring this church. Well, what's the other elder do? I'm evangelizing. I'm an evangelist. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm a prophetic voice here. I'm an apostle. I'm being sent out. Oh, what are you doing? I'm a deacon. What does that mean? Well, it means I serve here. Literally, other than our lights and the chairs, you go back 2,000 years in history, you are identical to the early church. That, by God's grace, has been my life's effort, honestly, is to declutter church. I understand we can do a lot, and as we get bigger, we'll do more. Trust me, but I am always trying to keep the thing simple. It's like how Apple reduced the BlackBerry to one button, and then now Apple doesn't even have a button anymore. It's like the more advanced you get, the less complicated it gets, okay? And some of you, I know you like the BlackBerry because it had all the little buttons there, but I'm glad it didn't because I got big chubby and he liked sausage fingers, right? And so it was hard. I was always, you know, t- touching the wrong buttons. But remember, it went from all of these buttons to one button to no button, We keep it simple here. The bigger we get, we want to be the smallest kind of church we can possibly be. You say, how is that possible to be big and small? Let me give you an example. I was at a church about this same size when I went to Bible college, sat at the front row. When the worship music started, I would jump, dance, and do all of these great things. And every week they told us to, you know, shake people's hands before and after service. I would do that. No one ever invited me to their house. Not one time. Mid-sized church just like this. No one ever really spoke to me other than every now and then they would come up to me and be like, oh, it's so good to see a young person here living for Jesus, jumping around, doing whatever. I was like, okay, cool. I went to a church that was over 2,000 people. The first day I showed up, a brother said, come sit with me. Then I began to sit with him. He said, hey, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm in the Bible college. He's like, oh, so you're away from your family? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you probably haven't had a home-cooked meal in a while. I'm like, man, yeah, I haven't had one since I've been here. He's like, you need to come home, man, with me. I'm going to introduce you to my family. My mom will cook some Cajun food. See, that church of 2,000 people did better than a mid-sized church. So it doesn't mean big is bad. It just meant as that church was getting bigger, they were getting better at being smaller. And what do I mean by that is they actually told their people, sit in sections, know the people within sections. Anybody new in that section, come sit next to, invite them over to your house. So though I was at a church of 2,000, I felt like I was more at home than a church about this size. See, Jesus had thousands around him, but he knew how to multiply, didn't he? He multiplied through his disciples because if one disciple can make another disciple, that makes another disciple, that makes another disciple. We can all be disciples in a church of 100,000. You ever think about why I'm saying 100,000? My goal is not to have 1,000. It's because discipleship churches are not only better in loving people and getting the job done, they actually can be bigger and sustained. Think about it like this. If every one of you just had 12 disciples... 12 by 12 is 144. 144, then each have 12. That's 1,728. 1,728, each have 12. That's 20,736. I've done the math before. I'm not that smart. (laughs) Think about that. If 20,000 people are making disciples, that is amazing, but it's no more than one having 12. When did I notice the church start to change? When I got more than 12 people? Man, people's lives are crazy, by the way, if you didn't know that. And it's hard to keep up with just 12 people's life. And by the time the church got to be about 30 or 40, I couldn't be at everybody's birthday party. I couldn't be at everybody's anniversary. And then I realized if I keep making these promises, I'm going to be making a lot of people mad. 
So I had to break off and say, Joe is not the DJ of your party anymore. Like, Joe's not here for that. I can't even do that with my own family, let alone your family plus this family. Just think about that. If everybody, if there's 12 people in your church and they each have a problem, just one problem a month that they're used to getting you advice from, that's more than one problem a week. That's three problems a week. And you know problems don't get settled on one phone call. It's phone call, then the next phone call, then the next phone call. And so before you pull out the small violin and feel sorry for me, no, I've multiplied myself in the church. And so if our leaders are not good enough for you, then this is not a good enough church. Go to another church. If you need your pastor to be on the phone with you every time you have an issue, this is not going to be the church for you. But if you can trust a church that has days like today that raises up elders and deacons, and literally the Morales has just testified in the first service that they were a part of a church that gave them a lot of responsibility but never gave them training, and they say, we are so thankful for the training and the responsibility. So listen, if you don't get what we're trying to do, then go to another church. And I don't say that to be mean or sassy. I'm just saying, like, dear God, have mercy. Do you know what that would be like? I would lose my mind if I didn't raise up leaders. How would the church grow? Imagine me trying to do the 101 with you guys. Imagine me trying to do all the 201 work. Imagine me trying to be in the nursery. God, have mercy on that imagination. Imagine me trying to take care of, uh, you know, of whatever's going on throughout the week. I'm your life group leader. You know what that becomes for a lot of pastors, honestly? It, it, it takes away their insecurity. And I've been there before. But, you know, you have to be secure at some point. You know, I've had even people, you know, sometimes they come to the church and they go, oh, it's changed. You know, it's not like we're some mega church now. But they'll be like, oh, it's changed. And I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, because you don't hang out with me all the time. Isn't that sad? It's like literally if the pastor doesn't hang out all the time, it's not the same kind of church. Like as if literally I was telling you to come to the church of Joe Y. Rostick in Latter-day Saints or something. <laughs> this is not Joseph Smith again here called Joseph Y. Rostick. This is called a church built on leadership. So here it is. Everybody get this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So everybody here, guess what? Even if you're a visitor, you can want to be a leader here. I don't, I'm not threatened by that. I, I, I don't take that the wrong way. You wanting to be a leader is actually a noble thing. If you say, man, I want to be a leader, Pastor. I want to do what you're doing. I want to be like an elder. I want to have a Bible study one day. Dude, that is the greatest thing you could ever want. That's a noble task. But here's the job description. Here's what elders and deacons have to do. The Bible says this, whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. You can't have charges against you with the law and expect to be an overseer here. Are you guys listening to me? You can't have baby mama drama and expect to be an overseer here. You can't be hooked on stuff and addicted and be an overseer. You would be surprised how often the gifted want to sing and be leaders to do stuff in this church. And we look at their life and like, we find all kinds of crazy stuff. You have to be above reproach. Now, you might say, Pastor, I know some people that don't like you. If the worst thing you can say about me is you don't like me, then praise God, I am above reproach. What I'm talking about is can you say my marriage is out of order? Can you say my kids are out of order? Is my finances out of order? Do I take off my pants in front of ladies in the church? Like, what are you talking about? Well, you're mean sometimes. Well, if that's all you can say is that I'm mean sometimes, thank God. Are you understand? If, if you feel you could go a higher level than me as a pastor in this city, please go meet that person. 
and go follow that leader. I mean that all honesty. I'm not the only leader here, by the way. We have multiple elders here, but I'm just using myself as an example. If you think you can go, if you think that there's a pastor that's more above reproach than me, because we're not talking about gifting. We're not talking about how good I am as a speaker or good, how good a leader is as just, you know, being a uh, personality that people want to be around. We're talking about character stuff here. Then I would say, if you know of a better character leader than me, dear God, go follow them, please, and I'll follow them with you. Okay? Because by God's grace, I'm at the top of the mountain, folks. You guys better listen to me. It is a messy world out there. Most of my friends have already got divorced, already been depressed, already shut down churches because of messes in their ministry. I'm not trying to say that I'm the best of the best. I'm just saying that I've seen what it looks like, and there's not a lot out there today. And so for the few that are out there you think are better, then dear God, go now quickly, please. But if you believe in this church and you believe in what my wife and I are doing and what our children are doing and you believe we're above reproach, you better stick with a good church. Because a good church is not here for you to try to tear down because you don't agree with everything. I don't agree with myself all the time. Do you ever just argue with yourself? I argue with myself all the time. Well, I don't agree with everything. I don't always agree with you. Dear God, are you kidding me? You think I agree with you? Do you honestly think I as a pastor agree with every one of your life decisions here? (laughs) That just makes me laugh thinking about it. You don't have to agree with everything I do. The point is when we follow leaders, what we're agreeing with is the big picture stuff. Let's keep going. Faithful to his wife. Follow somebody faithful to their spouse. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle. If you see your pastor fighting the members out in the front of the church, call the police and leave that church. You know, See a fight going on. And the Bible says, not quarrelsome. You can't love arguing all the time. And I used to love to argue, but pastoring has beat that out of me. I can't win. Literally, I have shown people in the Bible, this is what Jesus says, and they have told me, I don't agree with that. What do you say back to that? I can't argue people into anything anymore. I'll try to help you. I will do moderated debates. And sometimes I wish I could do moderated debates with people in the church. Like, let's just do it in front of everybody so everybody can see how you get treated right now by the scripture. But that's a fantasy I cannot live out right now. That would cause way too much confusion. Why is pastor debating that person I sit next to in church right now? Oh, pastor be calling them out. Okay, that's a unique lesson for the day. But I've realized, like, quarrelsome doesn't get you there. That's why if you notice with most of you guys, I'm not quarreling with you. We have 101ers and 201s. We're trying to teach you our ways, what the God has taught us, you know, the books that we write. But it's like if you really like that against it, like I said, we're not going to quarrel with you about it. Because there's too many other good churches. You can just go down the road, right? We're here to try to find people that aren't going to make it a mess. Because most of the time, messy people are what? Messy. And they make messes. We're trying to avoid that. I understand there's other places you can go, but this is our heart. Our heart is this, to teach you to not be drunk to be faithful to our husbands and wives, you know, for the leaders here, to be tempered. Do you see that in leaders here? Can I hear an amen if you do? Amen. Amen. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And this is the kind of stuff I've dealt with people. Their family's out of order, and they want me to make them an elder. I'm like, you're not even allowed around your kids right now. How am I supposed to make you an elder when you have to spend the night at other people's house, and we have to now cover that? I can't, I can't make you an elder. Guys, listen to me. 
I love you as people. I really do. Like, I love you, but I have to lead you. Just because somebody comes around you that has a gift, and we don't make them an elder. There's a reason for that, guys. How many understand that? Now, if you want to follow that kind of person that has to sleep on the couch because they can't be with their kids, and it's messy, and you don't understand my mess, and don't hold my path against me. Okay, you want that kind of person? Go. Where is the slingshot? Load you up. Does anybody ever see those Daytona slingshot things? It's like, boom, boom, you know what I'm saying? We'll just crank that thing up, release, boom. I'm just telling you, man, because how can I fight with that? My life is, if my kids, if these children are not on point, my elders, my elders here in this church will sit me down. Do you guys get that? Does everybody get that? If my wife, I want everybody to get it, because come on, I need you guys to hear this. If my wife says to one of my elders today, one, one complaint like this, Joe is not treating me right. I will not be preaching here for a long time. Just, it, it doesn't have to be he hit me. It doesn't have to be he mistreated me. All it has to be is I feel neglected. That's all she has to say. And she has permission by me, though she don't need it, and every person that's ever been in her life to do that at any given time. Why? Because I don't want to be up here if I'm not leading out there. If you come around my family and you see a different kind of family, then what kind of leader am I really? Do you understand why once, once every six months when we do ordination, it's good to go over these scriptures? Because this is literally what we're asking people to do. Now, by the way, is there anything on this list that you have read thus far that doesn't apply to all Christians? Like, really, like, if you're, like, cluing into this, you're pretty much going, like, Joe, really, anybody could be an elder then. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Because everybody is supposed to do this, but here's the difference between those who have done it and those who say they're going to do it. It's now we are being accountable for it. See, that's the difference. I'm, what, what does it mean as an elder? What it means is I'm one of the people you can point to in this church and go, that dude's living for Jesus. That's literally it. It's not like I have to be, it doesn't say anywhere here he has to speak in tongues, 30 minutes a day, prophesy to people about their business, do three miracles. Literally, it just says here, don't beat your wife, have good kids, don't get drunk, don't steal, don't be fighting with people in the parking lot. You do that, you can be a leader here. But you know how long it's taken y'all to do that? Why aren't y'all elders yet? <laughs> See, because it takes some work, doesn't it? It takes some work to get your family in order. It takes some work to get your kids in order. It takes some work for you to stop having addictive sins in your life where you keep dropping it like it's hot all the time. So we who have been there before where you are at are telling you it's only by the grace of God, but we're trying to show you now it's achievable. I'm not trying to say I'm the greatest pastor in the world. I'm just saying you can be a great pastor. You, you don't have to have a, an affair. You don't have to have something tear down your ministry. You know, God forbid, this is the part that always bothers me, is when they come back and tell you everything they were doing when they were in front of you. It's like, man, it makes you wonder, what were they in front of me for? Why were they in front of me for if they were being so fake? Like, wouldn't you hate it if, like, right now I confess to you, I've been having sex with the administrator the last five years. Like, doesn't that just make you just get upset? Like, as a church, you'd be like, then why were you in front of us for five years? I tell my pastor friends all this time, dude, if you want to be nasty and ratchet and all that, just resign from the church. 
Nobody's going to try to stop you. If you want to cheat on your wife, you don't have to do it with the children's pastor. You can just resign and get that chick at export, okay? Like, let's just be real in the church. Can we be real and holy in the church? Okay, now the Bible says he must not be a recent convert or he can become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. That's why we don't just throw up everybody on the stage. They had to be with Jesus for three years before he sent them out to preach. Man, I was once a recent convert, and I was prideful. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you don't mature beyond your conceit, you will fall under the same judgment of the devil. So please get this. The devil was so deceiving. Everybody look up at me, please. He was so deceiving that when he left heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. Do you think I am shocked when people leave our church and take people with them? The devil's been doing that from the beginning. But don't be the follower of somebody satanic. Do you understand that? That's why the Bible says don't follow the conceited young leader. Yeah, they're gifted, but they're conceited. They're prideful, just like the devil. Now listen to me. If I, can I tell you a secret? Can I tell you a secret? If I was going to cheat on my wife, I wouldn't let Birdo know. I wouldn't let Tony know. I wouldn't let those brothers know. You know who I wouldn't mind knowing? Some of y'all. Because you would understand. You would get me. Because some of y'all come in church all sneaky sneak. And you see what I'm saying? I wouldn't go to Birdo because Birdo's going to be up in my face. He's going to sit me down from ministry. He's going to hold me accountable. But some of y'all on the sneaky sneak, I could hang out with you and manipulate you about how hard it was being married to Nancy and how she doesn't do me right. And if you've been living that same kind of life, you're going to affirm me and be like, oh, I know how you feel. My boo cheated on me and I cheated on them. That's how I got back and that's why I'm with my second boo. I understand. You need, you, need to get your, you need to get your space, Pastor. You were young when you got married. You didn't understand. You see, watch who comes around you and tries to get you to agree with them in their sin. People will try to lie to you, and they'll use their leadership gift. The Bible says don't be around conceited leaders. I fear God, y'all. That's why I have in our bylaws. Who wrote the bylaws? I did at the very beginning. You know what I have in those bylaws? If I wild out, this church takes it away from me. So that means if they go to the leaders, uh, anybody here goes to the leader and says, Joe is wiling out, and those leaders can prove those charges to be true, I'm kicked out of my own church. Why? Because I will not be conceited. It, see, when I had the right mind, when I had the right mind, I made sure to put in writing, if Joe goes sideways, the church ain't going down. Because I've seen people better than me go sideways. So I'm like, I fear God. If I go sideways, on a, you know, I'm thinking this through. They better have a way out and get me out quickly. I say all of that to say, verse 7, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. How many are tired of seeing leaders in the church fall into disgrace in the devil's trap? Amen. Here we go in closing, y'all. Hang in there. In the same way, deacons. Somebody say deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, it's going to repeat himself, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be what? Tested. Now, do you get to give yourself your own grade? <laughs> this is the funniest thing. Y'all better listen to me on this. 
How is it I got people leaving the church after they've been with us for a little while? They say they've been tested, but we haven't given them the grade. Have you ever gone to your school and just said, I'll give myself the grade? Has that worked for you? I call this the homeless shoe syndrome. See, I used to bring people into my house when I lived in New Orleans. Men, not women, by the way. I didn't bring in homeless women into my house. Always got to clarify that. I would bring in homeless men, about 30 of them over the six years that I was doing this. I would find them on the streets preaching. I would say, hey, if you need help, come on home with me. And most of the times, their shoes would stink, man, because in New Orleans, the Bourbon Street, where I would find most of them, it's full of garbage, and, and it rains there, and alcohol, and urine, and it just stinks. It's like sludge, man. It's nasty if anybody's ever been down there. So we would change their shoes, change their pants, man, get, get them some clean clothes. And then what I would do is I would act as a mediator between about the four or five shelters that I worked with. So it's like, man, what's your need? Are you really on drugs? I'm going to send you to this one that deals with drug addiction. Okay, you want to work? You, you know, you're not really on drugs, but you're just kind of like couch surfing. Okay, I'm going to send you to this place that lets you actually work while you're here. Just for, trying to find a way to help them out. Take about a week or two. Most of the time, they would get really upset with me when they would sober up. Because I would bring them in, they would be all drunk. Yeah, I want to help, you know, and all that. Then when they would get sober, they would start to give me attitudes. And every now and then, they would leave upset with me because the plan wasn't what they wanted to do anymore. They would say, like, man, just let me live here. I don't want to go to the shelter. And I'd be like, no, bro, it was always about going to a shelter. Well, I don't want to go to a shelter. You got to bring me over here to my aunt's house. You got to do all that. No, I ain't going to do nothing. The door's right there. Roll. And I can't tell you how many times they would be leaving my house, flicking me off, cussing me out down the street, going, you don't love me, you stupid Christian. And what would they have on? The shirt I gave them, <laughs> the pants I got them, the shoes I put on them. But see, they had that homeless shoe syndrome that now they were sober for 48 hours. They could tell me how to be a pastor. They got their clean shoes. They were ready. And I see that all the time in the church. You come here for a year or two, you're smarter than me now. You know more than all my elders do. You smarter than all of them. Yeah, man, you are brilliant, aren't you? You see what I'm saying? And then we try to stop them, and they're yelling at us. You don't love me. You don't. While they got our 201 book in their hand, while they went to our Bible college. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, I made you. God made you. But here's what I'm trying to say. You better be tested and approved. Pass your test. If God brought you here, finish what you started. If you want to go to another church, we'll release you a better way than with a catapult, okay? We'll send you with blessing, but that's not with your attitude, okay? I don't get to go to my doctorate class, write an A, and walk out and go, I'm Dr. Joe now. You don't get to walk out of a church calling yourself a pastor, a leader, an elder, a wannabe, whatever, and say because you were here for a little bit. No, the Bible says they must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons, so we are the kind of church that wants to hold up the standard again. Now, once again, if you're just like, man, I, you know, I don't want to do it that way, that's fine. There are a hundred other churches that don't want to do it this way either. Right? You get what I'm saying? Like, let's just think about it. How hard, let's, come on, everybody look up at me, please. I know I'm going long. It's hot for me too, but please check this out. How hard would it be for you today to find another church that does not do this? That would be like super easy. As a matter of fact, I would say it would be hard for you to find a church that does it like us, but in their own way, right, like their own unique way. It would be super easy for you to find a church where you will not be tested, you will not be given hours of work to do, years of character evaluation to become a leader. You can go be that leader now. You can, there are tons of churches that will take you like that. We're not one of them. I want everybody to get this. 
It's harder to become an elder or deacon here than it is to join the police force, the military, or become a doctor or lawyer. See that brother saying amen, and he's a, he's a teacher. I'm telling you right now, because you want to be a police officer, they don't care if you're divorcing your wife because you're cheating on her. As long as you answer the questions right, you're good. A doctor, they don't care if you still cuss at your kids when you get angry. We want you to have the knowledge of everything that you're supposed to have in Scripture, and we want your character to go with it. That's why there's probably some empty chairs right next to you. Hello? But we're going to fill them up with people who want to do it. Amen? So the Bible says in the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temper, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So what are we giving you as a chance, as an opportunity in this church? We're giving you the chance to serve God. Can I, can I just say that one more time before I let them come up? We're going to clap real loud and be excited. What did, what did I literally just teach you this whole time? How to serve God. Wow, that was rocket science, wasn't it? Here, here, let me summarize the message. Show them the passages. Let's start from the very beginning. Go from the very beginning. Here, here let me summarize it, please. Here's how you serve God. You hate your life. You choose his. And you follow him. That means where he is, you are. Next passage. And then you're willing to help, even if it means you clean tables. You're just willing to serve, whatever it takes. Last scripture, please. And this is your character. Now, once again, is there anybody here that can say, ah, I don't need to serve God. I'm good. Is there anybody here that read a different Bible than what we just read today? I mean, what else is there to say? We are all supposed to serve God. And at the very least, we can be deacons. If you don't want to be a leader, an elder, you don't have to be. We, we're not going to, like, push you to the next thing. Those who have been around the church for a while, once you graduate our discipleship program, and you can put up the, um, the slide we always have every week, please. Thank you. We don't, when someone graduates, we don't push them on. Like Jackie. Jackie right now is a deacon. No one's going to force, Jackie, will you just raise your hand, please? Thank you. No one's going to force her to be an elder. All that we ask is that everybody does this right here. That's all that we ask. That's all. If Christina and Jose don't want to be elders, they don't have to be. No one's going to put pressure on them. Like, when are you going to be an elder? No, no one's going to do that. What we say is, if you desire that, that is awesome. And I think they do, and I think that's great. They're going to be used by God. But you don't have to want to do more than that. If you're looking for that, like that where do I stop part, there you go. Just be a servant of God. Be a character of Christ, loving Christianity, servant. And what will you notice in that journey? Because I've been doing this over 20 years now. What will you notice in that journey is that where you are, Jesus is with you. I've been to India three times. I've also been to Nepal, Mexico, Nayarit State, and Chilapa. Jesus was there. I've been in the hood, Cabrini Green. Jesus was there. I've been out to Belmont and Clark. Jesus was there. I've taken mission trips all over this country, Miami, Atlanta, New York. Jesus was there. I've been into all kinds of homes. I've been into mansions. I've been into apartments with cockroaches. Jesus is there. I've been there on bad days, funerals, even of young children and of people shot and killed. Jesus was there. I've been there at the birth 
not in the delivery room, but at the birth of children coming out with the parents. Jesus was there. Good days, bad days. Jesus is there. How many of you want to serve Jesus? If you want to serve Jesus, when you hear their testimonies, if you haven't become an elder or deacon yet, set your heart on doing leadership with us. Amen? All right, let's get it on. Let's give it up for Jose and Christina Riasco. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. His wife's taking a little bit of a break. Oh, there she is. Let's give it up for Christina again. Amen. Let's also get the microphone up here, please, because we're going to have some people testify. Get it, they're going to get a picture of you right here. Out right, right there. Thank you. Amen. And in our church, we take it serious when people do the discipleship work in the first phase. So we also want to reward them and give them some gift cards. So let's give it up for Berto and Griselda Govea, who did their discipleship. And we'll get a picture with them. Lifelong friendships are developed here. And then here's a gift card for each of you. Thank you. Can you come on? Yeah, this, this way quickly. Thank you. Appreciate you, my brother. Amen. Let's give it up for him one more time. Amen. Jose, uh, Juan, did you want a picture with me and them? Okay, sorry, because I forgot that. Thank you, Goveas. Appreciate you guys. Amen. Amen. We're going to let each one of them share. Who wants to go first? All right. Sure. Um, I'll go first, amen. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, man. i um, just so thankful to the Lord. You know, I just keep thinking about Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, that Lord Jesus is God, amen, the faithful God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love. To a thousand generations to those who love him. Amen. God will keep his covenant of love with you. He's done it with us because we love him and keep his commands of loving him and loving people. God has been faithful. Amen. God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to a thousand generations. Think about it. There's not even a thousand generations that have passed.